welcome back to another episode of Game Grow Retain. Um, we are coming to you, or I'm coming to you live from the great state of Michigan. I'm uh, on a road trip to see my wife's family, my in-laws. Uh, we're doing some traveling for a wedding that we have coming up. Um, and I'm excited to be joined today by Amelia Dantica. Dantica, Dantica. I just messed that up. Amelia Dantica uh, from Growth Molecules. So Amelia, uh, appreciate it. Forgive me for butchering the name, even though we just went over it, but uh, I'm excited to have you here. I know um, you've been somebody who's been prominent in the, uh, not only the customer success community, but I think just the B2B SaaS community um, that I've known for quite a while. And um, it's really fun to have you here and to do this today. So I appreciate you coming on. Jeff, thanks for having me. Um, so I like to start with a couple of icebreakers and uh, helps us get to know you a little bit better. And uh, I hope they're relatively harmless. So if Amelia had to describe her perfect Saturday morning, what does that look like for you right now? What's your, what's your Saturday morning that uh, you just dream of? I definitely dream of espresso every single morning. So it starts with that. And then I love riding my bike to the gym and working out, just feeling really good. And then um, just spending the morning with my family my dog, going for a hike, things like that, just anything but work and just focusing on mental and physical well-being. I like it. Do you all have, um, are there some awesome hiking trails around where you live? Is it pretty easy for you to get out and do something outdoors? Yes. I just walk out my door. I live in Sonoma County, so I don't need a car to find a hiking trail. There's creek trails, hiking trails, lake trails, everything you can dream of. (laughs) Oh man, I'm jealous. That is, um, you know, being from South Carolina, that is like the one thing I'd say we, uh, we have some great beach and great, you know, lovely kind of low country scenes, but, um, I miss the, the trails. I miss some of the hiking. We don't have a lot of mountainous terrain. So, uh, I'm jealous of, of that setup that you have. Um, okay. Second question, second icebreaker. Um, uh, if you didn't live in Sonoma County, if you didn't live in California, um, if you kind of picked of the other 50 states that are out there, uh, where do you think that you would uh, you would choose to live? I thought you were going to say country because I would move back to Europe in a heartbeat. But if it was another state, it'd probably have to be either New York or Washington State. Yeah, yeah. Washington, the, oh, Washington State. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's closer to my family who's settled in Canada now, but I would want to be close to them or I'd want to live in a big city like New York and uh, have all the experience and excitement that Sonoma does it. What, uh, if you were going to choose a European country, where would it be? I'd probably want to move back to Italy. I'm from there and I speak the language and always feel so happy eating all that food and experiencing that culture, I think I'd want to move back there. Oh, man. Um, uh, my wife and I, we had a uh, two-week Italy trip booked right at the start of the pandemic. So unfortunately, we have had to cancel that and move it uh, years out. Uh, we were supposed to do it right before we uh, had our son. So uh, it was, timing didn't work in our favor. So we're looking to get back there. But um, I would say we have heard so many great things and um, we love pasta and bread and all the things that I feel like come along with pizza, um, that come along with eating throughout Italy from, from what I've heard. So I'm looking forward to getting there. I want at least one day looking forward to getting there. That's great. Um, before we jump into uh, some of our content today, um, I know you uh, 
I know you've been very passionate and uh, you've been building communities for a long time. I know uh, that you wrote a book. Um, and so I just wanted to give you a chance maybe to talk a little bit about that experience um, and kind of what, you know, the book is about and how you've uh, built a community around that. Um, just want to give you a, a chance maybe to talk through that and where people can, uh, can see more of that. Yes. So my co-author Sabina Pons and I wrote a book about women in tech and thriving. So pressing on as a tech mom is the title of the book. And we surveyed over 300 women globally to understand why women were staying or leaving tech, what they were doing, what inspires them. And then we interviewed in depthly 12 women and we shared their stories. And it is a book of hope and inspiration. And for the people who don't have children or men who are seeking to mentor and sponsor and elevate women, this book is a guide that that helps uh, in the in the workplace. And I've had so many people since we released this this book in the spring of 22 say to me, this book isn't just about women in technology. It's about just lifting people that are underrepresented in any place in that that's called work. And so it it makes me happy that we're having a, a wider reach. And right before this, Jeff, I hosted a roundtable for about 50 women at, in revenue at Informatica, and it was all around mentorship and sponsorship. And they've started a grassroots community around women in revenue and invited me to speak about the power of promoting and sponsoring women early on in their careers because of the compound effect that we experience if we're not given big opportunities earlier on, we fall behind. And so my mission with writing this book, uh, pressingonbook.com is where you can find out more. And we have tons of resources for, for people struggling or wanting, wanting to learn more about how they can mentor and support women is that I, I want to create a community where women can talk about the challenges they're having. And so having a safe place, we actually had one man on of the 50 people. There was a man on who wanted to come learn and support and be part of it. Of course, men are welcome. And it was just really wonderful to have a community where we could speak about difficult experiences we have had in tech and how we can come out of it better, stronger, still be able to smile and laugh and motivate and support others. And that's what community is about. You should feel safe sharing your challenges and learning and supporting each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that point. You know, I think the the thing that I've learned, especially through um, building a community um, very intimately over the last number of years is just that, you know, people are looking for that connection and knowing that somebody else has gone through something before. And if you can, you know, be able to be close to people who have been through it before, if you can get advice, mentorship, um, how impactful that can be, you know? So, um, yeah, I love, love that you all are doing that. Um, I'm glad that you all have been able to push that message wide. I love that you're getting those opportunities to even go into businesses where you're starting to see people put these types of groups together, uh, where people are starting to do that. I know we've got, um, we have a couple of efforts, you know, at Higher Logic where we've got some uh, employee resource groups that have come together um, around women. We have one around disabilities. We have one around uh, minorities. And so um, I know that there's, you know, um, more emphasis and effort hopefully being put into these types of um, these types of programs and hopefully there's going to be a bigger impact as they start to compound as they start to get bigger over time yeah that's fantastic <laughs> well let's um, let's jump
jump into some of the content. So um, I know with a lot of the work that you um, get to do with growth molecules that you all are, um, you know, trying to help organizations as they think about their customer success, as they think about uh, not only just the team customer success, right, but, hey, how do we make our customers successful over time when we have these recurring revenue? Um, when we have recurring revenue, we have these relationships that we're trying to build. And so uh, maybe a place to start is, you know, in some of the experiences that you've had recently, um, you know, have you found it challenging to go in and, and help teams think about um, how to measure kind of the effectiveness of customer success and how we think about uh, some of those those metrics or some of those indicators that would tell us, hey, yes, this is working or no, it's not. Have you found those conversations difficult or um, are you starting to see those types of uh, executives kind of opening up to that conversation and kind of bringing, kind of inviting that uh, type of dialogue? I, I believe it. it is definitely changing. And because more PE and VC firms are getting involved with their portfolios and really bringing customer success as a practice into these organizations or heavily influencing, we can say it's making a difference. So that is where we're seeing a really big impact with metrics and customer success. We just completed for a PE firm, an assessment of a company who does not have the customer success function at all, but they have a B2B product and they have account managers that do renewals, but there's no customer success and that customer experience is being impacted. And so they brought us in because churn is now a big issue in the company. And we worked very closely with the CEO on this project and the experience I'll share, me being on the outside listening to the calls afterwards, is that they're skeptical. If you have not grown up in a B2B business and you're used to on-premise customer success in exist 25 years ago, then it's something that you have to have metrics for. And so if you're able to bring to the table other successful companies and how the impact of customer experience has had on them, that is how you persuade. And that is how you get a budget for something that we call customer success. And I would say the greatest example I've seen of this is Adobe. In 2013, they they introduced reoccurring or monthly charges, annual charges versus on-prem. And they did it with the customer team who gave them incentives, not only to uh, apply and start with the subscription program, but to renew early. And then that they would have a CSM to enable them. Their stock and their revenue shot up. And I love showing this graph when I present uh, on why metrics matter just shot up tremendously at that turning point. So that those are the kind of stories I share with these CEOs who are very skeptical about the impact of revenue. The first sale in B2B that a company makes may bring in whatever your average reoccurring revenue is, let's say 50,000. But what really matters is those relationships, the adoption that occurs, the advocacy that comes afterwards in places like communities, behind closed doors, getting back back channel reference checks. That is what matters. And it's the relationship building in year two, three, four. Suddenly this client's not worth the initial 50,000, but it's worth 200,000 plus. And so that's how we explain customer success to these leaders 
who are still on the fence about whether they should invest in such a program? Yeah, the I would say too that the interesting part uh, as you were talking that I've just seen a dramatic shift in as well is the the places where people get information as a buyer these days is, has just shifted such so dramatically over the last um, not only five years right but think about maybe ten years ago when you were buying you know software and technology um, and just like you mentioned the the experiences we have nowadays. I can easily disseminate on social channels. I can go tell a community. I can go email, you know, a group of 10 other leaders that I know. And so um, kind of your, the experiences that you're giving your customers um, now are so, uh, are able to be shared so quickly that it, it matters because a moment, in a moment, I could go impact 10 other people who are thinking about the same thing, or I could go impact, you know, in the community, I could say, hey, I've had a bad experience with this company um, and think about how that could be a detriment, not only to the revenue that I bring, you know, it's like the buyer, but now I've impacted, you know, 10 other leaders. And I feel like that's just where there's such a dramatic shift that, um, you know, if we're not thinking about the customer experience and the way that we're cultivating these relationships, um, like it can impact, you know, one year, two year, three years down the road, because um, now kind of a sour grape in these communities and other channels where people are getting so much more information these days. The access to information is just the, the part that I feel like has um, really accelerated why customer success and why customer experience needs to be uh, such a prominent figure as you're thinking about, um, you know, the, the programs that you're building and how you're bringing customers on board. Agreed. <laughs> uh, when you, so as you've gone into some of these um, discussions, and like you said, you know, you're kind of uh, approaching, you know, sometimes skeptical CEOs and whatnot, you're telling, telling these stories. Um, you know, I always, in, in some of our early days uh, of doing some consulting work, you know, the, some of the CEOs are always looking for, okay, well, where do I start? You know, okay, I don't have anything today. And that's kind of a loaded question, right? There's um, probably so many what ifs or um, other pieces of information, but is there a place that you always, try to um, to look and, and kind of say, okay, you know, you don't have anything today, but here is a place where we can kind of jumpstart, or here's a place where we can maybe look under the hood a little bit more and say, okay, um, you know, at the high level, here's, you know, a metric that's telling us um, that you need customer success, but then is there a way that you try and kind of get down to, um, hey, here's a place that we can start and try and kind of start slowly to ramp them up. Is there anything that comes to mind for you there? Yes. So I like to look at data by cohort and understand where are you losing customers along the customer journey. Most companies we work with don't have a customer journey. They hire us to help them build that journey mapping uh, or go through that journey mapping exercise and experience. And, and what we highly recommend is start with the sales to customer success handoff. That's a really good place to start. What was that experience like? And then how many customers are you losing during onboarding? If you're losing customers during onboarding, that is a huge opportunity where I would start. Even if you don't want to start a customer success team, make sure your sales to CS handoff is good and that you have a place where you can manage the client and the key pain points, what they care about in terms of success a year from now is being documented even yesterday, I was on the phone with a head of customer success, and she was telling me her team doesn't have access to their CRM. They're, they're running CS out of spreadsheets. And these are seven-figure uh, deals that, that her team is managing. And it just speaks volumes as to how disjointed often sales to CS is. And so I always say start there and see if you can have an impact or improvement because the the there are two reasons um david scock says you lose clients he's he's an investor out of 
Boston. He writes a lot about SaaS companies and he says it's poor onboarding and the loss of your champion. So I, I'm a subscriber to that. Um, I've seen the impact on good onboarding can make on a client because we're human. The psychological piece behind that is if you have a poor experience with someone early on or a product, it's kind of like having a bad honeymoon. You want out of that marriage as quickly as possible. So um, that's where I would start looking at the metrics there. Can we improve how many clients you're losing early on so that you can turn those into uh, valuable, renewable customers? Yeah. The, um, I also like to think too of myself and some of the buying experiences that I've had recently. And um, I would say one of the, the frustrating parts for myself and you did, that you were just talking about was um, I still feel like a lot of times the onboarding, uh, like the sales of CS handoff can be good. I know that they've um, transitioned the right information. You know, they're kind of not making me repeat myself. They're, they're uh, confirming things that I've answered before to make sure that those still are true. And so they've done that well, but then, um, you were just mentioning part of the onboarding process. There's uh, two experiences I've had recently where we purchased a SaaS product and um, they still kind of throw the book at me. They're like, Hey, we want to teach you everything that our platform can do. And um, in my mind, I just uh, kind of going back to your point, you know, if they could help me ramp and kind of move along that path and think about a journey of like, okay, how do I help them kind of build momentum and build along the steps that they're taking instead of just throwing them the book and saying, Hey, it can kind of do everything all at once. Um, I always think about how that can be so impactful because now that memory is sticking with me, right. As I continue to go through and um, you know, you don't want to try to have some of those moments where you feel like there's a stalled stalled moment or there's a, a moment of um, you know, they're kind of thinking or regretting that decision, right. There's always that trough of despair, right. Right. When you purchase it, something, you always go through that trough of despair. And if you can kind of minimize that, um, it always can be can be helpful. We we teach it. I I taught a class this week around customer journey mapping to a group of CEOs and the the two people from their P firm were there and I explained the trough of disillusionment that that yep. people and companies go through. It's like okay, now you're onboarded. Now you have to use the product on your own. And they're like, what now? What, you know, so it's, how do you get people out of that experience and enable them instead? Yeah. When you're, as you, you know, you kind of mentioned that, that sales to CS transition is um, one of those key moments along the, the life cycle. Um, you know, you, you kind of brought up the example that the CS, that in that one case, the CS team didn't necessarily have access to the CRM. Um, so in those types of moments, are there, um, are there, tools or templates that you're trying to um, to help and kind of say, hey, maybe we don't have access to the CRM right now, but if you can get these two or three things answered, if you can kind of get these two or three pieces of information, um, then, hey, we're moving in, in a good direction. So are there like two to three things that you're thinking about during that that CS or that sales CS transition that you feel like are, are maybe the most prevalent things to make sure you get across to the, the CS team? I would say you have to start with what pain point are you seeking to alleviate? How do you make that person who's going to be your day-to-day partner look like a hero in their organization? Again, that's the human element. And then uh, the third the third is what does success look like in a year from now? If, if they can't answer those questions early on, you need to help them answer and identify. Maybe it's reduce errors. Maybe it's reduce support time. Maybe it's improve customer experience, increase revenue. I mean, you have to have numbers associated with success. Otherwise it's very difficult to show your ROI or why they're going to renew. 
Yeah. Um, the, there is a uh, good example recently. I actually just had to sit in a, um, an EBR for a product that we had purchased. Um, and the number one question I asked when I walked in, because I, and I had, um, I wasn't here when we purchased the tool. I just, you know, kind of inherited what we um, had purchased. And so when I, when I first joined the meeting, I said um, to our team that was presenting to us, I said, Hey, you know, what's, what, do you know what we were actually trying to accomplish? Do you know what we were trying, what metric we were trying to move here at higher logic? And, um, and the answer that they gave, was something that we don't even look at anymore. And uh, it was something that we had talked about maybe last year or the year before. Uh, it was almost like two years old. And it was one of those cases where, um, just like you said, you know, if we at least had that documented and we could kind of ask that on a regular basis, it'd be something that you could keep updated, that you could make sure and kind of validate each time you're having um, those types of meetings or even if, you know, in a quick email, hey, you know, we're still, you know, we're building some slides or we're building some content around this. Is this still something that you're you're measuring? Is this something that you're thinking about? So uh, I think you're hitting the, you're, uh, hitting the nail on the head because the things you're mentioning are just kind of bringing up experiences that I've, I've had as a buyer recently myself. That's great. It's it speaks volumes that we need this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, as you as you start moving through, right, you kind of mentioned the the sales to CS transition um, as a key moment that you've kind of um, honed in on. Right, hey, this is kind of something that you can key in on on pretty early. Is there another moment across that customer journey where you're kind of like, hey, this is another area where which seems like you know most companies might overlook? Yeah, I would say risks. Right. What are the risks throughout the customer journey? I, you can see I have a whiteboard behind me, but when we are doing um, the these workshops with clients, we use Miro and yep. we have them start adding what are the moments of risks. And at the beginning, and I'm on my whiteboard writing down what people are saying, there is silence. There's silence because people don't think about the risk factors across the whole journey. And that's a challenge because if you don't know what risks are or when to pick up the phone, when there should be an engagement, you have executive business reviews all wrong. You should not be having them on a quarterly cadence, but rather when moments that matter. So you need to understand what are the moments that matter for the client achieving milestones, uh, success with your product, adoption. What are the three moments that will show that they're actually adopting their product? Those are all super important. But then when you ask, what are the risks? They don't know. They don't know how to answer, yet there's so many risks for churn. And so I would say I would start with that as well. And then bringing different people in, product, engineering, if it's, you know, something that engineering needs to get involved in, or maybe how sales is selling the product versus the actual experience, that's a risk. Let's alleviate that, right? So those are the things I, I encourage people to look at throughout the journey. I love your point about the, that we shouldn't just, you know, create an arbitrary cadence of, uh, you know, looking at it quarterly and saying, hey, let's just have a meeting to have a meeting. You know, I love the, your point of like, no, let's actually look at when, um, an appropriate milestone or moment is and say, hey, this is a time when we should pull the group together, right? It's, a, it's either a great moment that we should celebrate and we should talk more about because we hit one of those metrics or milestones that you had mentioned, or we're at a severe risk and we, we've identified the risk and we need to bring everybody, it's kind of an all hands on deck. We need to get people into a room to make a decision. Like, um, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat in rooms where people say, hey, we should just do a QBR and have a quarterly meeting and um, 
like right now, one of our, again, another product that we purchased, uh, asked if I wanted to have um, a weekly meeting to check in. And um, my answer was graciously no, um, you know, <laughs> and here's when I want to meet. Uh, here, here, here's when I would like to meet. I'd like the buyer of this, right? And it, um, those times that I wrote are when we achieve something or when something's going wrong. Like, hey, we need to get on the phone and do this. Um, so I love that you called that out because I feel like that's uh, a big part. I, I've said to my team throughout my entire career, once I, I became a, a director and, and um, I said, any moment of friction past three emails, pick up the phone, right? And yeah. it's becoming a lost art. I mean, good luck with getting my children on the phone. It's got to be Snapchat, Instagram, something like that. But you you need to feel confident as a customer success manager, it's your job to lead them through success and partner with them. And for some that, that don't answer emails, especially, or there's friction, uh, we've developed relationships with our clients on even a texting level. Last night, someone, a client, a former client texted me and said, Hey, can you just give me some quick advice on something? If you have those kind of relationships with your clients, text them and say, Hey, can we have a quick call? I'm sensing some friction in our communication. You as a CSM should be very confident having those conversations. And if you're a leader, it's your responsibility to enable your team to be able to do that with confidence. Yeah. The other point that you had mentioned, um, I was curious maybe to dig in on for a minute too, is just um, identifying risk. And I wonder, um, you know, I think sometimes people think about uh almost risk because it's like, oh, you know, this happened. Oh, oh, they're going to turn anyways, right? Oh, you know, they're leaving us and it seems too late. And so, you you know, I think you're talking about, hey, how do we identify these risks? How do we, how do we even just um, say them out loud, right? So that we're all mm-hmm. conscious of them. Like, hey, it's okay if we actually talk about the risks of our product, of our service, of the market. Like, let's actually put those things out in the open um, and identify, and hopefully we can identify them before. Um, and I'm curious too, like, have you had to um, help teams like coach people on identifying that risk? You know, how can you identify risk in a meeting? Or like you said, how can you sense that frustration? So I'm curious if you've had to help um, teams or how have you helped teams maybe think about the EQ side of picking up on those cues and understanding, hey, this is when we're sensing a moment of risk and we should be able to kind of raise that red flag. Yes. So at Growth Molecules, we have a whole academy. Uh, So we have 16 courses that we teach. And one of them is around customer journey mapping and identifying the different risks. And one of the things that we teach is as soon as you start engaging with a client, you should connect with them on LinkedIn. And so that you have actual things to talk about with the client throughout the journey, sending them interesting articles, getting to know what they care about. But also when it comes to risk, when they leave, right? Because then you have to have a, an, uh, you you need to know who else can you contact and you should never have one point of communication with the client unless your com- the company you're working with is a company of one person, right? Then we get into more B2C, but in the more B2B and especially enterprise, you should have two, three plus contacts at that organization. And, and I would say, not having a LinkedIn uh, or at least following the company, that, that's a risk right there. Uh, putting time measures around the engagement is important. So being able to show value and impact early is incredibly important. And so slow start can be a risk. You need to have moments yep. that matter, jobs to be done, and they need to have be milestones. Yet another reason why you need a 
customer success platform or at least a CRM to be able to see where's the slow start because that's an early indicator of risk. I mean, there's so many different ways. Those are just two or three that I've mentioned here and um, incredibly important to enable your team to understand what is a risk and what is the play around it. That's hence why I believe in playbooks, why we build them for clients. They're just, they enable your team to build strong relationships with clients. Yeah. And that's the, um, and I, I, I like the way that you talk about playbooks too. And, um, especially in a lot of the work that I've seen just from the growth molecules and, um, like the presentations and the content that you all do is, um, I think you talk about playbooks as empowering your team, right? It's not a restrictive, you have to run it in, you have, you know, you're saying these things and it's like word for word, what you need to do, right? It's a, Hey, here are kind of the guardrails that you should be thinking about. And if I can empower you, you know, Jeff, as the CSM, if you can identify this and you need to run this play, then, you know, you've kind of got the autonomy to still be yourself, be authentic. Um, but, you know, you're working kind of within the confines that we want to as a business and the uh, kind of the direction that we want to go. Um, and so I think you're right. Like I've seen in the past how somebody might take playbooks and be a little too, hey, you should run it this way. This is the way you should talk. This is the way it should be done. This is the email you send. And it becomes almost just um, like a monotonous job, right? It's, hey, I'm just repeating this. It doesn't feel very um, real or authentic. I can't kind of bring myself to this. So I, I like the way that you talk about using playbooks as a, a way to empower the team to uh, make those decisions, uncover those types of things, because then they can push that in the right direction. And I think it's important that you you give your team space to role play, right? So having a, a community where you meet on a regular cadence to role play, we we call it the art of no jitsu uh, in our class of how to learning how to say no. So just being able to I role play in a safe place with someone you trust is really important. And uh, we we highly encourage with our playbooks or our classes. It's not something that's stagnant. We deliver it in the G suite, in fact, so that they can continuously update it. It's not something that you you shelf. It's a living document. Yeah. Your team changes, matures, there's turnover, uh, your clients change your client changes as their needs change, and then your product is enhanced continuously, right? So as those things change, your playbook is dynamic and needs to be changed as well to reflect the needs of the organization and the client. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that point too. The the um, other thing that I've seen work really well is also getting some of your CSMs to um, to kind of own some of those playbooks themselves and kind of be the, um, like the keepers of like keeping them updated and keeping them refreshed, giving trainings to the team. I've also seen some, um, ways that people have empowered their team to, Hey, you know, Jeff, you're, you've been great at this. Do you want to kind of own this playbook and kind of help us, you know, bring it gives a little bit of the responsibility, but then, um, you know, there's a sense of kind of pride that comes along with that. You know, you get to, um, you get to think about how to keep it updated, think about new strategies or ways that we can implement it. Um, and so I've, I've seen that work pretty well. Um, I know we're, we're kind of getting towards the end here and there's one, one piece I was going to try and, and, um, ask you around as well is you kind of mentioned this, um, that there are some of these leading indicators, right? You kind of said, Hey, um, you know, if there's a slow onboarding, we need to know that that's kind of an early indicator, right? That might be a risk. And so, um, I'm, I'm curious, how, how do you make that tie? Um, you know, I think of like the lagging as revenue retention and renewals and the things that everybody cares about, right? It's kind of the money side of it. And Mm so, um, how do you help teams make that connection of like, hey, um, you know, it's great for us to know these things, right, about renewals or ARR and uh, gross net retention, right? Those are things that we obviously care about as a business uh, in, in terms of how 
uh, financially viable we are and, and what we're we're looking at. But how do you help maybe those um, leaders out there start saying, okay, those are those are uh, the metrics that we care about as a business, but we need to start getting into some of these leading things like, you know, hey, we have a slow onboarding. That's a risk, and we need to make sure and, and kind of know about those things ahead of time. So how do you kind of put those early warning signs in place? Is there anything uh, stands out there as you help leaders? Yeah, so, I mean, especially with technology today, things like uh, l- listening pl- platforms out there, I think of Update AI, Chorus, Gong, all of those where you can put in keywords that if they're mentioned, then as a leader, so I was a fractional uh, leader of customer success at Chorus a couple years ago. And so I really got to understand the technology well and started putting in keywords like, competitor um, or or keywords where there was dis, disengagement or missed calls, uh, reduced seats. Those kind of things are all indicators that the, the client is headed in the wrong direction. And there should be a flag with all of these platforms. There can be a flag that goes to the leader to say, we need to get in front of this. The other thing, when I was uh, leading a team at Bright Edge, we always had a director on the kickoff for the enterprise teams. And so that we would invite their leadership, we had our leadership, so that if there was something wrong, the CSM knew they could pull that leader back in and that there was a higher level. And that kind of uh, multi-threading is incredibly important in mitigating risk. All of these things, Jeff, take practice, right? So you can have the best playbook in the world. In fact, two of our clients this year have handed us playbooks they've built with other consulting firms and said, we don't know how to use this. We don't understand it. Can you help us distill it into actionable, usable product? And so it's been a really fun project, not only to see uh, companies work, but just make it come to life and turn it into things that let's role play this stuff. Let's practice it. Let's learn how to listen and apply emotional intelligence to our business conversations. And that's how leaders can help their teams really identify risk early on. Yeah. Um, Awesome. This has been really fun. Uh, Amelia, I know we've, we've had to navigate a little, a couple of different things here, but I think um, a few things that stand out to me, you know, is that um, as you're, as you're a leader out there and you're talking to your executive team or to the board, um, you know, bringing stories from other companies, bringing in some of those metrics and some of the uh, industry type stories, like you mentioned, uh, the Adobe example is a great one. Uh, so just making sure to keep that top of mind as you're going in and start starting to uh, approach the discussion about why customer success matters, why we need it, how it can be impactful. Um, I think then we started getting into that customer journey aspect, you know, hey, how do we start looking and identifying some of these key moments along the customer journey? Um, you know, it doesn't need to be uh, fully fleshed out, but we need to start looking at some of these key moments or moments that matter um, for us to really start to dig into that customer journey and start saying, okay, here are some of those key moments that we just need to make sure we've got playbooks and measurement around. Um, and then the last part that I think we kind of drove home here too is just the, around risks and making sure that, hey, how are we empowering our teams to think about risk, identify them, um, how we might have some metrics or measures in place ourselves uh, to kind of bring those things to light. So um, this was really fun. I think we got to navigate um, a number of different things here. Um, if people want to find more about you, about growth molecules, uh, about pressing on, you know, where are some of the, the best places to make sure that we can, we can send people your way? 
Absolutely. So it's just growthmolecules.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and then pressingonbook.com is also on LinkedIn. And if you share your email address, we're continuously growing a community of women and people who want to support women in technology. Um, so that's how you can find us. Awesome. Well, I'm excited we got to do this. Um, I appreciate you know, you coming on here and I appreciate, um, I know you're always active on LinkedIn. Um, you're active on other social channels. You're always putting out content. You're doing a ton for just the broader community, um, putting out, you know, some of the, the free work that, um, the free content that you guys are doing. So, um, I, I'm always appreciative of that. I always take a look. So, um, I'm excited to do this and we'll, uh, we'll have to see you again here soon. Yes. I hope to see you at one of the events coming up, maybe Saster, where I think I met you for the first time. <laughs> I think that's true. Yes. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm currently navigating some of those tough conversations with my wife of, uh, you know, when <laughs> when do I get some work travel? When do I get to uh, to leave, uh, you know, given our, our new uh, baby boy? So uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to at least make one of, one of those big events for customer success and B2B SaaS here in the fall. So um, I hope we can do that, too. I love seeing people in person. Sounds great. All the best with fatherhood. It's it's a fun ride. Enjoy. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. We'll see you again here soon. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.